Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Welcome to the show. Glad you are along. As I say, it is a Friday. So this is the day we do something called the brightest conversation in Hamilton Radio. I will tell you who my guest is. Very special guest. Something a little different today. Um, Ben, are you, are you a, uh, Ben's on the other side of the glass here. Are you, do you like driving? I love driving. Do you like driving? Oh yeah. I've got a manual car that. Do you? You have a stick shift? Uh, Yes, sir. Six speed. Okay. Stick shift to me. I love it. I used to have, my first car was a stick shift. I loved it, except when you get into a traffic jam. And that's something that's really great with the way that the gearing's been set up on this. I can put it in first or second, and then I just cruise and I let the gap open up. Oh, no, there is the clutch. But what I'm able to have the engine idle at just the right speed while it's in gear, and it won't stall out. So unless I'm on a slight incline, I'm able to let that cruise, and I'm not having to clutch in and go, clutch in and go, and start smelling it. I hate that. And when years and years and years ago, I had my first car and it was a winter day and I was driving home from Brantford and it was a traffic jam and I had to clutch off, clutch off, clutch off. (laughs) And all of a sudden I pressed the clutch and it felt like a pressure, a bit of pressure. And then all I heard was, (laughs) and I snapped the clutch. I don't know what I did. It just wore out. And then it would still drive. But only in first gear. So I had to come on the highway driving in first. Screaming down with your RPMs at the limiter. Oh yeah, no, no. It was it was it was making some noises. <laughs> and I was only going probably about thirty-five kilometers an hour because that's how fast it could go. But I, I loved driving a, a a standard, but except for that. Except for that, I was not a fan in, in, in traffic. Something as well that's great is because it's a twenty twenty Subaru cross track. I've got something called hill assist where I don't have to worry about coming off the clutch to the gas on an incline because it will actually hold it until it detects the forward motion. Well, that was, okay. Most of the time. Hills. And so anyone who's ever learned to drive stick shift, and I, I don't, I honestly don't know how many people today still know how to drive it. You know what? Send us a text. If you know how to, all we need to know, do you know how to drive a stick shift? 905-645-3221. Send us a text. That's a simple question because at this point, I don't know how many people are even capable of doing this. Do you know how to drive a stick shift? But when I was first learning, I had the horrible horrible misfortune, Ben, of getting into traffic on an incline. And I was not skilled at the clutch and going yet. And as soon, and it was a steep road and there was a guy about five feet behind my bumper. (laughs) So if I didn't do it right, I was, I was rolling back into him and I, I did the Mario Andretti. I threw the gas down to the floor (laughs) and then just pumped the foot off the clutch and I spun. I'm sure I put five years worth of tire wear on in that one moment, but it was like, no, I'm not doing this. It's, it's a, um, I remember when I was first learning how to drive the stick, I was getting it around just the general area. And of course I make a left-hand turn and sure enough, this is the steepest hill in the Uh area that I encountered. The stop sign was right at the top. So when I was stopped at this, I was sitting more in the back of my seat than I was on the bottom. (laughs) And I'm thinking, this is the second day I've had this car. Terrifying. It is horrifying. Terrifying. And of course, yep, I did the same thing. And what do you know? It smelled like a campfire. That thing was torched. I, it's still yeah. good. It, no, it's, it, you know, le- there's, it's, it's fun. They're, they're fun to drive, but the learning curve on those for, again, and I think a lot of people listening right now probably have never, I would guess that many people have never driven a stick shift because they're just not around that much anymore. Uh, I, so when I got mine and I was trying to figure it out, cause I clearly was not good at it. It was, it was snowing, I guess, like the day or the second day. I can't remember, but the, maybe the day or the second day after I got it, there was a mall near my house. And so at night at like midnight, I took the car to the parking lot uh-huh. so I could practice donuts. Well, <laughs> the intent was to learn how to drive stick shift. The intent was to just, you know, start, stop, move sec first, second, the empty parking lot, no one around. Get, if the, I get s- the pattern. If down. I stall, so I stall, you know what? But there may have been a few donuts. 
<laughs> totally accidental. You had oversteering happen. No, no. But uh, at one point, <laughs> so I went around the corner of the mall because there was nobody there. Pull the stick shift or pull the, the handbrake to do a donut. And aren't there two police cars side by side <laughs> talking to each other? And one of them sort of gave me the come over here and he says, you going to go home? And I went, yeah. He goes, okay, go home. <laughs> and I was like, okay. I could have had a ticket on like my second day. I figured it out though. I figured it out. Uh, here, who says this one? Uh, no name here. I learned how to drive stick shortly after I learned to drive. Has had a manual car for 15 years. I regret buying an automatic. I'm not sure who that was. Uh, they didn't give their name. Um, here's someone else without giving a name, a, a norm. Once bought a new car that was a stick, had never driven one in my life. Sales guy taught me in about 10 minutes. Norm, you're a fast learner if that's the case. Way to Absolutely. go, Norm. Um, Paul and Sarah, um, our first vehicle was a standard. Years later, I can still drive a stick shift. I'm sure that everybody who has driven one, it's like riding a bike. You can always do it. You could always pick it up. You might want to mouth guard the first two shifts. Maybe. But after that. Uh, I don't know who this is. Yes, I can drive a stick shift. I learned to drive one before automatic, like riding a bike. You never forget there exactly what, uh, what someone just said. The one other thing about this, I spent a summer doing volunteer work in the jungle in Papua New Guinea, just above Australia. Like we were way in the jungle. One of the things we were doing was clearing an airstrip for missionary planes that they could land and bring stuff to the people in the tribes. Like That's it was cool. very remote. And so our team would be digging these enormous trees, chopping them down, and then trying to dig underneath the roots to get them out so you could clear the way to build a landing strip. Well, you get it to a certain point and they had one Jeep <laughs> that would then hook up by a chain to do the last pulling of the trunk out of the ground. I was the only one on my team who knew how to drive a stick shift. So I got to sit in the air conditioned Jeep. <laughs> it was 120 <laughs> degrees and incredible humidity. And I got to luxuriate in this thing because I was the one who knew how to move the thing. The king of the castle. The lord of the manor. That, that is exactly there. right. Uh, the chain's not hooked up correct. Could you please redo that, sir? It was, you know what, if there's for no other reason, if learning how to drive a stick shift had any purpose, it was for that. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to get this. So that way, if somebody came up and was like, I've always wanted to learn. Jump in my car. We'll go to a parking lot. I will teach you. Just don't do donuts where there are police. No, never. Uh, all right. So here's the, uh, here's the thing. Uh, I said today is the brightest conversation at Hamilton radio and I haven't introduced my guest yet, but I kind of have because, uh, Ben, as you know, if you're a regular listener here, Ben does amazing work. He's a wonderful guy. He does superb stuff on the show every day. Doesn't get all that much opportunity to throw in his opinion on things other than the odd thing for Ben's story of the day or whatever. So at least once a year, probably once a year, I try to clear a spot so that Ben can be the guy who can be the brightest conversation in Hamilton radio. So we're going to take a break and come back and Ben Strawn, big Ben as some around here call him, is going to be joining me to chat about all kinds of things that are going on in the world. You, uh, if you're a regular listener, you know, Ben, uh, this will be fun. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Are people still texting in about driving stick shift? I drive a manual Hyundai Elantra. It's my third Hyundai great car. We'll upgrade to a pickup truck with manual transmission. Love my manual transmission, says Jose. Um, uh, let's see, who is this one from? Amanda says, my boyfriend, now husband, taught me on his five liter Mustang. Oh, he's a brave man. To let, <laughs> to let anyone Anyone learn on that car? Uh, he made me go up Cochrane Street in Hamilton because it's a steep incline. Yes, lessons well learned. Um, here's another one. John, uh, I learned to drive a stick shift, which was called standard. Yes, in the early 60s, there was no standard until a number of years later. I would ask my dad for the car keys to practice driving in the driveway. I think he means there was no automatic until later. Uh, he was always hesitant as I was practiced for about an hour to an hour and a half. There you go. So, yeah, lots of people who have learned at some point how to do it. But uh, as I say, we're going to, uh, tonight, uh, it's Friday. It's the brightest conversation in Hamilton radio and it's our once a year and I should do it more. I mean, he deserves to have it more. He can certainly hold up his end of the bargain, but I'd like to give Ben an opportunity. I'd like to bring Ben in here cause he's got a lot of good things to say and a lot of insightful things that he talks about, but, uh, not a lot of opportunities. So I want to do that. And then we're talking about cars and reading. We talked about it this week on the show but also reading now that 
in the States, dealerships are getting totally backlogged with electric vehicles. Forget standard. Forget stick shifts. Electric vehicles are backing up like crazy. We're hearing in Canada there are surveys that say people are disinclined or less interested in getting an electric vehicle. Would you drive an EV? I would drive one. And unfortunately, I think that there will come a time in which the manuals will die off as far as new vehicles go. And I think at some point there's going to be an elimination of internal combustion engine. So I think it's something that, unfortunately, you got to go with the times. Would I drive one now? I'd be a little hesitant because we have the range issues. But more importantly, it's the recharge. That thing is... It's going to be the ultimate problem maker because if I was able to go 400 kilometers and refill as fast as I can a gas engine or a diesel, well, then the problem isn't as severe. Sure, it sucks, it's inconvenient, but it's not as severe. Waiting three, four hours? Yeah. You suddenly oh. go to one of those, uh, what do we call those things? I keep forgetting, the on, on route. En route, yeah. All right, so you go to the on route, and let's say that the government puts the infrastructure in and puts... 30 or 40 electric vehicle charging stations at each one. Because if we get to the point where almost everybody is driving EVs, think of all the people who pull in to fill up with gas now. Well, they're going to have to do it with electricity. But you're now going to be, as you say, you're going to be stuck there for hours, for hours. If you look at barbecues, everybody barbecued back in the day, but it became incredibly convenient when you could now go to propane and simply when you ran out, instead of having to start the thing, you just switched out the tank. If we got to the point where electric vehicle batteries, where you could have a backup in the car and when yours gets, you flip a switch or you just pop the one out and put the new one in or something, maybe, but I'm with you. I think most people right now are looking at it saying, I don't have the interest, the inclination, the time to either get stranded or to have to sit at some en route for four hours while my car fills up. That's why I'm amazed that the direction people have been going has been electric. Work has been done towards hydrogen cell power, where it is all the benefits of exactly this, and it's still a green outsource. The only exhaust that gets made by it is water. The other, um, well, there's a number of other issues with this. There's the, how do you produce them? It's not environmentally friendly to make electric vehicle batteries. That sort of gets lost in this whole thing. There is the issue of Canadian winters, which in some places that are very, very cold, they have problems because they don't work that well. I have a friend who's a battery salesman and he loves winter because batteries die when it's cold. What, what's, what's going to happen the first time we were talking about traffic jams on the highways? You're in an EV and you're near the end of your charge and your charge runs out. Now you can get CAA to come if you run out of gas and give you a tank of gas. I assume there's something they can do to give you a quick battery charge, but I don't know. Well, that's the thing is you think about charging your phone, for example. Right now you cannot charge your phone lickety split. It takes time for that to happen. So going to fill up for lack of a better term, an electric car, you have a massive well that you can put this into and it becomes that physics problem of how much electricity can you transfer before you start having that cable catch on fire. Yeah. Well, and there's one other thing that has, that rarely gets talked about. And I don't know that we hear much about it. Certainly in the States, it's something that they're beginning to address. And that is in certain States, populous States, there are already problems with the electric ability to produce electricity and supply electricity. In California, they have brownouts all the time in certain places. If we now are requiring that at nighttime that everyone charge their cars or in the daytime that everyone plug in their car and charge it, you're going to have a huge draw on electricity. Plus, the more people use electricity, the more they raise our rates because the more supply and demand. It's going to come, I know that right now it's a lot less than filling up with a tank of gas. I understand that. But when electricity, this will not just affect the price of filling your car with electricity. Now, everything in your house, your electrical bill will go up. Something as well that's kind of ironic is right now, when is the cheapest time for your electricity? Overnight. So do you think that might end up flipping? where as electric cars are adopted by the mass, that 
it's going to end up having the reverse effect where it's going to be more expensive at night, despite the fact that you're not using it as much? Let me answer that question with this. When, what government, I don't care what stripe, I don't care what level, what government has not looked at opportunity to squeeze more taxes. The soon as they see, oh, you know what? Yeah. Charging overnight is when all the electricity is now drawn. They will bump the, right now, electricity at night for most places is a reduced rate. It's cheaper. Won't be. I guarantee you, I, I, well, I can't guarantee. I would bet that it will not be that at a certain point when that draw gets up at nighttime, when it's not easier on the system, it will become just as expensive. Something as well with, as I had mentioned, there's that physics problem of transferring the electricity through the cable generates resistance within the cable. It heats up and you can have a fire. I'd be interested to see in how we have to upgrade most of our cables. Would that be an issue that has to be addressed? Because as you have a higher load put on the system, would it simply be a I'm trying to think. An equivalent would be your water pressure. Water pressure sucks. Yeah. You got to put either more pressure in the pipe or a bigger pipe, but you can't, it just adds up to upgrade everything else. Yeah. My, my real concern with all of this is I, I'm not suggesting that gasoline and combustion engines are going to be the solution forever. I do think that probably things will change, new developments will come along, hydrogen or whatever else. I am not sure that electric vehicles are the answer. I think they may become the Betamax of the auto industry where they get skipped over from one thing to the next. It's a bridge, but it doesn't stay around for all that long or the laser disc of the auto industry. And we find something else, but we've now invested so much money and possibly with all these charging stands, we'll invest so much infrastructure and then no one will end up using it. And that would just suck because well, you know who yeah. pays for all of it? Yeah, us. 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 Let's take a break while we ponder just how much. And by the way, you can still send me your notes. If did you, Do you know how to drive a stick shift? And if so, how did you learn? When did you learn? Who taught you how to do it? Was your parent, your dad, your mom? Your sibling, did you learn yourself? If you learned yourself, people around you probably heard. <laughs> we know, we know, we've all been there. Jeff Bezos uh, says, hey, look, people are getting a little worried about AI. Don't worry about AI. AI is going to save the world, not cause its downfall. And his bigger idea, though, is that he is hoping that one day there are not 8 billion humans on planet Earth. He hopes that one day... This is under in uh, marketwatch.com was interviewed. One day he hopes there are a trillion humans and they are living in giant cylindrical space stations and they can visit Earth for vacation. Well, there's an idea. And is he going to fund this for everybody? Well, he probably could. Probably. He probably could. <laughs> He's got enough money. But his point is if we have a trillion humans, at any given time there could be a thousand Mozarts, a thousand Einsteins, a thousand Bezoses. A thousand Wayne Gretzky's, you're going to, that, that many people, you're bound to have a whole lot of brilliant folks. You're also bound to have a whole lot of duds. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, uh, you know, for what, what he leaves out here is that for every Mozart, there's 12 million people on Pogi, right? You're, 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 it's not like, yes, you'll have a lot of really, really brilliant folks, but you're, you're also going to have an awful lot of. Mm. Well, I always, I always think back to the quote, think of how, think of what average intelligence is across humanity. Half of the people on all of the earth's surface are dumber than that. (laughs) It's true. It's true. I'm, I'm wondering if Jeff Bezos may be in that group (laughs) and like, look, look, here's the, here's one of the amazing things to me about a guy like him. And I'm not even necessarily going to put um, Bill uh, uh, Bill Gates or those in there because I think Bill Gates really is, uh, Bill Gates says a lot of goofy stuff these days. Like he says a lot of weird things, but he, he, he was very bright. Like he had to build Microsoft and all that. Jeff Bezos built Amazon, but it was a pretty simple concept that he did right. And he had one great idea that he implemented. And now we turn to him to hear his thoughts on everything. And that's something I always get annoyed with is 
there seems to be an implication that people seem to see of this person is rich, therefore they have good ideas. Well, this person is rich, and I don't mind him being rich. He came up with the idea. He implemented it. He made it. People wanted that idea. That's how things work. If I could come up with an idea that's as great as Amazon or at least as desired by people as Amazon, I should get the money for that. If you came up with it, if anyone listening, I have no problem with that. I don't have a problem with rich people who have come up with something that the world has decided they want when, with, with Apple products, with whatever. If you come up with something that clearly is desired by people on planet Earth, you should re- reap the rewards of that. The weird part to me, though, is that here's a guy who came up with the idea to deliver stuff to your doorstep. And now we're asking him about a trillion people living in cylindrical pods in space. Where, draw me the line between point A and point B. I wonder if maybe the line follows something similar to what Elon Musk has going on, where it's, I've done this, I've done that. Let's try giving this a startup. Maybe it'll work. We'll figure it out. Let's see where it goes. And again, I put Elon Musk into more of the James ja- Bond villain category. No, 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 no. Like he, look, he's, he, I know that it's nice to see him as a villain these days because of Twitter and everything else. Well, I even think just in terms of he's got a bunch of money, but he's, he's done a bunch of things that people want. Oh, no question about it. A lot of the things that you use probably have some sort of spinoff. Yeah. No, no. I, 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 um, what's his name for, uh, uh, what was his name for Apple? Uh, Steve Jobs. All right, so so I always thought it was funny years ago, and we still see it now. But remember, um, probably ten years ago, when they had the Occupy Wall Street movement, and everybody was upset at capital. Well, not everybody, but, but some people were protesting capitalism, and we got to stop the rich people from being rich. And I always thought it was funny that we're seeing these people out at a protest against capitalism, holding a Starbucks coffee cup, and texting and tweeting and whatever else on their iPhone. Do you not think that everyone you buy of that, that goes to the Starbucks corporation and Steve Jobs doesn't get a bit of your money because it's go, it's, it's, we, people create stuff that people want that is desired by people. Good. You make your living. I just don't know that the person who invented Starbucks, that I'm going to turn to them to say, what do you think about deep sea exploration? (laughs) (laughs) And that's the thing. It's, I, maybe an equivalency could be to politicians. If you outside of your political career were an outstanding lawyer. You did an excellent job, but then you become the minister of defense, I'm going to say for an example, and now you are expected to become the military expert. Well, yes and no. You have people who are experts. So in this case here, I think it's a, sure, he's throwing out ideas of this would be neat. Wouldn't that be cool? But he should be having the people who are like, yeah, no, that that cannot work. Not with what we got right now. So I, it's annoying when people are like, this guy's got it figured out. I'm like, well, he's very, he's, he? he's famous and he's rich. Therefore he must have good ideas. I'm sure he has ideas. Oh yeah. I'm sure I he has too. lots of ideas. You do too. I do too. Everybody listening has ideas, but nobody lines up to say, Scott, what do you think about this new process for implementing chips into brains? Nobody, like no one has asked me that, thankfully, because I don't have any clue about what you're talking about. I have an expertise in an area. You have an expertise in an area. Bezos has an expertise in an area. And yet somehow we've decided that because you're really successful at one thing, you must have really insightful thoughts about a lot of things. I think this honestly makes me think Jeff Bezos may want to revisit this whole thing. Maybe I ought to rein this in a bit. Next time someone asks me about living in space, maybe I should say, you know, I deliver packages to your porch. (laughs) I would great to talk about that. I own the Washington Post. If you want to talk about journalism, sure, I'll talk about that, even though I'm not a journalist, but I own it. So fine. But giant cylindrical living quarters floating around in the solar system I don't know. Well, to a degree, we already have a model with the ISS. It's it's cylindrical in areas that yeah. connect and to other Yeah, and how many people cylinders. can live on it? Well, currently. Five? 
Maybe. I think a few more than five. He's talking 20. about a trillion people. Well, you have multiple too. These things are going to have to be... Oh, but, but that is fair. I think at a larger scale, it would work. But even still, ah, come on, guy. Mm. I don't know about... I think there's some... You've got the money to fund it, find the people, you know, kind of build yeah, sure, it and they do will it. come. Do it. If you think this is a great idea... Throw your money wherever you want to go on there this. There you go. Uh, so a bunch more uh, people writing in. We're still talking to people about their, can you drive a stick shift? That's where we started today. Chris writes in, learn to, learn to stick on a Hyundai Pony as a starving student. The best thing was when the starter broke. All I had to do was get my friends and we would jump, cart, jump start the car every time. That is from Chris. Russ says, my first car, hold on. My first car was a 396 Nova with manual transmission. Ooh. Very powerful, but not a problem because I drove a motorcycle for a few years before that. Bikes all manual, so easy transition. Not transmission, transition. Uh, Eric, self-taught. My work had standard trucks. If I wanted to work, you learned. Uh, then hadn't drove one in 10 plus years. Then a few years back, my boss let me take his thousand horsepower Hellcat Challenger for a <laughs> rip stall twice. Uh, then like a dream, I uh, like riding a bike, a very fast bike. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, you got to be a little careful that first time starting that one. That's awesome though. Uh, Mondu says, I learned on an old international W4 farm tractor. All right. You're uh, going to learn on that. That's for sure. And um, Ken, I learned how to drive stick shift at my local U-Haul dealer. <laughs> After not requesting an automatic, I still had to move that day, so sign me up. They probably had a good laugh watching me leave the parking lot. The things we can accomplish if we try. Merry Christmas, Ken. Yeah, what Ken doesn't say in there is everything that was in the back of his truck <laughs> was broken <laughs> when he got the starting, the stalling, the shaking, the pounding. Well, that's a good story. Uh, 905-645-3221. Can you drive a stick shift? How did you learn? Where did you learn? Do you wish you'd learned? Do you wish you had a mouth guard when you learned? Yeah, or, or insurance for concussion. <laughs> and we've been talking a lot this hour. This was not really the plan. Hadn't really planned to go down this path, but we somehow got onto cars and driving and whatever else. And this seems like a natural wrap for this hour. Pardon the pun of wrap. Uh, I meant wrap up. But there's a hilarious video that has gone on social media in the last day or so. I would play the audio from it, but I cannot. Oh? It is, it is filthy. But what it is, it's a 70-year-old white woman Uber driver who has cut her first homemade rap album. <laughs> okay. And apparently she plays it for people who get into her car. This is what they get. They get the special treatment with this just F-bomb-laden hip-hop rap stuff that you are a prisoner in the back seat to listen to this. And I'm trying to decide, and again, I wish I could play it over the air. If you really want to see it, I'll tell you where you can find it if you really want to see it. But I am telling you, there's a lot of words in there. Don't play it around the kids. Uh, go on Twitter and look under videos that make your day better. That's the Twitter name of the site, and you'll be able to find this. 70-year-old Uber driver plays her rap song for a passenger. If you're in the backseat of a car and somebody starts playing you their music, what is the appropriate, do you just nod and say, very nice, or do you say, turn that off, or do, <laughs> what, what's the appropriate response? My go-to is I actually start to ask them about it, and I go to the degree of, I'll ask you more so about why did you do this, what makes you feel like this was something you wanted to do. So that way, I don't, we don't really have the music playing. You're telling me more about it. And that way you're able to get the, you get the story, you get to learn. Everybody does something for a reason. Yeah, uh, you're right. And, and you're a very kind man. I, uh, my, I have a high, awkward, uncomfort, discomfort level. And most people who play you their music if they were good, somewhere they would have been signed. There are good musicians who are not signed to music labels, but very often the people who are going to impose their selections upon you, it's like, oh, uh, I'm almost uncomfortable listening to this. Well, we get we have the pleasure, sometimes displeasure, of hearing ourselves speak quite often. And the recordings that you hear back, 
you tend to not like the sound of your own voice. If somebody is saying, come listen to this, you're going to listen to this, okay, I'm already a little off put. And sometimes it is good. Other times it's like, hey, stick with your passions, bud. You you got this. Uh, I've, I've spent more time, and I don't know why, if it's, it's so uncomfortable, and it is. There, I've spent too much time already watching funny videos of people singing somewhere where it's just horrendous. There is one, maybe we can find it and play it next hour. Stick around for this one. It's a, I'm almost, it's almost unfair. It was a guy singing in a church who thought that he had a hit song on his hands. Oh boy. (laughs) And and it is, it is, it is unfortunately one of the most horrendous things you will ever hear in your life, but there's never been more enthusiasm. And that's the thing I, I love to see is enthusiasm, whether or not it is going to be something that the wider audience of humanity will be going to actively listen to. I don't know, but I can respect the passion. Like you wanted this, you were giving it all you got. I always get annoyed when somebody's bad at something and they put only half of themselves into it. Swing for the fences, and if it's good, it's good. Okay, if but it's what do you say? Good. What do you say to the person? This is the point. You're now stuck. You're a you're a prisoner in the back of the Uber, and they say, "Well, what do you think?" I don't want to lie. I don't want to lie to someone, but I also don't want to tell them the truth. <laughs> there is no there is no way out. There is no way out of this kind of thing. What I'd say is try and find an element that you at least do enjoy. There's always something. Anytime somebody says, I don't like this, there are reasons why you don't like it. There are parts about this you don't like, but there has to be something where you're like, you know, that's actually a neat idea. That's got some potential. Tell them about that and like, hey, this part... I don't know if I'm the audience, All right. but I like this part. All right, here's what we're going to do, Ben. I just sent you the link to the worst singer, the worst church singer of all time. <laughs> Next hour, we're going to come in at the top of the hour <laughs> with this song, <laughs> and uh, people can make a decision for themselves. If this person said to you, what do you think about my singing? What would your response be? Do you lie and say, oh, it's... Lovely. I think the problem is enough people lied to this guy in the first place, which is why he did this. But anyway, uh, while we're pondering that, and while that's my encouragement to stick around to hear this next hour, uh, a few more texts here about driving stick shift just before we go to the break. Uh, This is from... No name here. Uh, Hey, Ben. Oh, Joe. Hey, this is Joe. I learned on an MGB. Wow. And bought a Sunbeam for college. We have had manual transmissions right through to today, including a Corvette and a Ford Focus. Well, there's a two ends of the spectrum. Both daughters also learned on standards and could drive them. Uh, Joe, I sincerely hope you taught them on the Ford Focus, not on the Corvette. (laughs) What's fun about that, it could be a Ford Focus RS, which is a $50,000 Focus. That thing's a rally car. They're sick. Uh, Rick says, learn to drive on a Morris Oxford. Four on the tree? Ooh. I don't even know what that means. So before you had like an H pattern stick shift, up on oh, that, like, okay, up yep. on the uh, the steering wheel just to the right, you would have that All there. Right. So that's would be referred to as the trees. Have always driven standard, including a six speed Trans Am. Nice, Very looking like nice. Uh, yeah, looking like Burt Reynolds in Smokey and the Bandit. Nice. I hope you had the the eagle painted on the hood of the oh, black Trans Am. Awesome. Still have a thirty two Plymouth three speed with freewheeling and uh, let's see one more here before we go to break. Rick's I learned not a, a garage, s- by the way. Wow. I learned to drive stick shift on my dad's new nineteen ninety red Toyota Corolla Sport Edition. I've been driving manual ever since. Says Carol. Uh, yeah, let us know. Do you drive a stick shift? This is, seems to be the theme of the day today. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Last hour we said, uh, while you're considering that one and giving a call, we said, this. what do you do if someone who is not a good singer says, what do you think about my singing? All right, here's your test. This may be the worst singer maybe ever. What do you say if this person, probably a lovely fellow, comes up to you and says, what do you think of my singing? I didn't know you was going to start out with Looking for a city built above Looking for a city Where 
What's the honest answer? Do you be honest with a person when they say, oh, how did I do? Do you say, oh, you were fantastic? Or do you say, that was interesting. I've never heard anything like it, (laughs) which would be true. (laughs) What do you do? I don't know. I don't know what the proper answer is. I don't want to lie to somebody, but I also don't want to, I don't want to be Simon Cowell in the early days of American Idol and tell them honestly how they were doing. That's what made Simon Cowell so interesting as a TV personality back in the day before he softened up and before they got to him and told him to lighten up a little bit and not be so mean to people and before he had all kinds of plastic surgery done. Uh, he was Simon Cowell was interesting because he said what everybody at home was thinking. I just don't necessarily want to be the person who has to say that out loud. It's, it's kind of rough, isn't it? It's kind of rough. Anyway, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is to that. I don't know what the answer is to that, but if, if someone if someone came up to me after doing a performance and said that, I think I would probably just um, feign a coughing fit and say, hold on, I got to go get some water. I, I, I can't speak right now. My, uh, <coughs> I can't, I, <coughs> I can't talk. That's what I would do. That's my out. That's my, that's my quick response. What would you do, Ben? Oh, uh, immediately I have decided I've taken a vow of silence as a Buddhist monk and will never speak again. <laughs> Sorry for that doing that work. while you were sipping that, your coffee. That could work too, yeah. <laughs> we nearly had coffee out the nostrils. That would, yeah, that would work too. All right. Uh, maybe we'll play more of that guy later. I think that he was trying to sound like a, one of the old school bluegrass singers. I think so. But you know what? We don't have time because we've got limits on how much we're supposed to play of each one. But uh, he went through, I think, five key changes through the course <laughs> of that video <laughs> until he's hitting notes that only dogs can hear. <laughs> <laughs> only very regretful dogs. <laughs> Who are questioning most of their life. Wondering what they did wrong. Wondering what they did wrong. Uh, Earlier, um, earlier last hour, uh, when Ben and I were chatting, we've been talking about cars and we've been asking people if they can drive a stick shift. Can you drive standard? We've been asking people to send us. So while you're sending us your quiz answers also, same text line, 905-645-3221. Do you know how to drive a stick shift? And how did you learn? Where did you learn? Who taught you? That kind of stuff. Uh, Craig says, brother-in-law took me to a hill in a 74 Gremlin, put me behind the wheel and said, go. I learned really, really fast. LOL. Yes. Uh, I believe that you learn really, really fast, Craig. We've, those of you, those of us who have been in that situation, it's amazing how much you can learn. It almost makes me wonder, Ben, if we're missing, if our education system should do what Craig just said, if we should teach algebra the same way, that there should be some looming desperate disaster about to, there will be a giant ball of concrete hanging over your head. And if you do not learn the algebra before the ball, the rope snaps, uh, uh, that seems uh, like that's a little more doomish and gloomish. But I was so- going to say something like, Okay, cool. We've got Mike Tyson in the corner. He's got his gloves going uh, on. Yeah, you better. Um, you got 30 you, seconds. Th- see, I figure think it out. It might, that might work. Um, here is from uh, Paul and Sarah. My parents had a 54 uh, Morris Minor standard. I remember riding it up in Clappison's Cut many times. The clutch got lots of work as one downshifted ultimately to first gear to make it to the top. Not the little engine that could, but the little car that could. I remember the stick hit. It had to be two and a half feet tall, the stick on it. <laughs> Uh, yep. Here we go. Let me see. Uh, I'm trying to... Are you familiar with the money shift, Scott? Uh, No. So in drag racing, you're obviously trying to get through your gears as fast as you can so you get to the final drive. Yes. Sometimes what will happen is you're going from first, you go into second, and what will happen is, because you're just screaming with your RPMs, you try and go into third, you miss third and go back into first. Oh. 
And so you you know what that yeah, feels like when you go into the wrong gear. Yes. The nose dives. So imagine doing that when you're at the top of your RPM. Yeah, the nose dives and the sound that comes from your car is uh, is truly astounding. It is a um, yeah. You don't you don't really want that sound too much. All right, let's let's change tack. But I still uh, send a note. I would love to. Uh, oh, here one more quickly before we move along. Dar, yes, I can drive stick and just rode one on my motorcycle. Yeah, it was cold. I believe it. And, you know, motorcycles, yes, that's, uh, I think that, I think anyone who can ride a motorcycle probably can drive stick, no? Maybe that's too general a statement, but anyway. All right. So I want to, I want to change tack, but continue to send us the, uh, your texts. If you can drive stick shift, I want to hear about how many people are out there who can do this. Cause I kind of believe that it's a lost art or at least it's a dying art. And there just aren't that many cars out there that still provide it. But anyway, all right, let's move along because today we learned that Dundas Square in Toronto is going to be renamed. Now, this is a controversial and frankly, I would say kind of ludicrous thing that they're doing in Toronto. They're renaming Dundas Square because there was a claim once upon a time, not that long ago, that Henry Dundas, the same guy who is the namesake of the town or the part of Hamilton, was... He was, he had slaves. He was a slave trader. Well, we've learned from many, 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 many people who have studied this. They've said, no, 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 no. He was an abolitionist. He wasn't a slave owner. He wasn't a slave trader. Now this got confusing because he wrote some things that said, we may need to slow down the end of the slave trade because historians have since said they believe he looked at the political situation in Scotland or England, wherever he was, where this was happening and said, if we move too quickly, it'll get voted down and this will never happen. Let's do this at a speed where people are going to be comfortable. Nonetheless, Dundas has somehow now been associated in some minds with being a slave owner, which again, many historians say not true at all. Still, Toronto has decided they are going to rename Dundas Square, Young Dundas Square, right across in the Eaton Center there at Young and Dundas. Uh, they are going to name it now Sankofa Square, which is named after an area of Ghana, I believe. It's a word. A uh, word from Ghana. Which I remember meaning to retrieve. Yes, but it's, so it's an African word and it's, you know, multi, it's fine. Multicultural. I love, you know, whatever we love. I've been to Africa, love it there. I don't know the, the, the significance of this particular area. I don't know why you choose this for here. Surely there could have been something else. Nonetheless, Ben, it got me thinking about this and a bunch of other ones. And I've decided finally that I think we should now take a stand. I think we should take a stand. That any time politicians or business people or whatever want to rename a well-known, well-established, familiar place, whatever, we say, no, we're going to continue to call it what we always know it to have been. It's not the Roger Center, it's Skydome. It's not First Ontario Center, it's Cops Coliseum. It's not Sankara, Sankofa Square, it's Young Dundas Square. I... Are you with me? I'm on board with, they tell us what the new name is. We say, go ahead, call it that. I'm calling it Cops Coliseum. I think that's something that people already do. I don't think you need to take a stand because the stand has been taken already. Many people, I think though, it's because they simply forget. It slips out. I'm saying it should be an intentional thing. You can call it whatever you want to call it. I'm calling it Cops Coliseum. That's a very I'm calling it Skydome. I don't care. If forever be Ivor Wynn to some Ivor Wynn, sure. Now, I think that it's an interesting thing because it'll be forever that to you, but what happens as the generations keep moving along and the kids who grew up only knowing Sankofa Square? Oh, they can call it that. They can call it that. I mean, this is, this is kind of my point. I think that you should be able to call it what you think it is, what it's comfortable to you. Well, that's the thing. The reason why it's called anything is so that way you know where I'm talking about and I know where you're talking about and we're able to meet up at the same place at the same time. So I think that it comes back, in my opinion, to something like when we were seeing the football teams and baseball teams changing their names and people say, it's just a name. What's the problem with it being this? Well, yeah, it is just a name. So what's the problem with changing it? I don't have as much of a problem 
if somebody very strongly believes and can establish with something, like, again, I think this Dundas thing is idiotic because many historians are saying this is a complete misread of history. And he for is, that reason, I'm totally with you. Yeah. If the person, if history is saying that, no, this guy was not who people are wanting to believe, well, then... You're smearing a guy long after he's dead, and really, I mean, and we're and we're kind of picking and choosing. We're no picking and choosing. About it. We've got a Trudeau airport in Montreal. Pierre Trudeau was prime minister when the white paper about indigenous affairs, about Indian affairs, was written, which many people say was a racist document. And yet we haven't gotten rid of the Trudeau airport yet. Well, I was hearing that he was the last president to have opened. A residential school. Prime Minister. Pri- yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, uh, I know what you meant. Last Prime Minister to have opened a residential school. Now, I, I cannot confirm or deny this because I myself no, but do he not was, know. The residential schools were still in place and when no, he was Prime Minister. It wasn't a hidden thing. It was known yes. that they exist. I, so, so, I agree with you on that. So if there is something like, for example, the, you know, the football team at Edmonton, the Edmonton Eskimos. Uh, okay, you know what? If that is... If that is seen by those people, uh, but who are, you know, who are the subject of the name. The Inuit population says we don't like it. That we're offended by this. Okay. Uh, And, and if you can, and in that case, there's not really any, this is not the same as the Dundas. Yeah, I would agree All right. It's not like there's a historical question about that or not. If you're saying you're offended, okay, we can, we can rework that. If, but for all the other ones. Again, and, and it's more of a it's more of a lighthearted thing when it's a corporate naming thing. But I mean, how many stadiums? If I gave you the list, and I, I will, um, because I bet you that most people listening right now, because the names have changed so often, couldn't even say what teams play in certain say NFL stadiums. Oh no, you think uh, is Tropicana Stadium one of them? Where who? What team plays in the Bank of America Stadium? Uh, not a clue. Charlotte. Panthers. I was Carolina, Carolina Panthers, one. pardon me. Uh, what team plays in Everbank Stadium? I don't even know where that is. Jacksonville. Again, like these are, so there's some that are, everyone knows Lambeau Field. Sure, that's an easy one. Uh, but there's a there's a whole bunch of them that I don't think most people, Nissan Stadium. Who, who plays at Nissan, Nissan Stadium? Uh, the Nissan 23ers? Yeah, the Tennessee Titans. But no, so I, I say you go back to the original. You, and, and, if the, if it's the same one. So Tim Hortons field, it's not really Iverwind stadium because it's a different stadium now. So sure. You get to change the name, but cops Coliseum is still cops Coliseum. All that's really changed is the name on the change is the name. That is fair. I'd like to know too, what would happen? What would, what would the corporate sponsors do if everybody just ignored it and just kept calling it by the original name? I can, well, you kind of think there's nicknames that develop over time. Tim Hortons Field's been called the Donut Box how many times? I think to a degree, you can have some stuck-up sponsor who's like, don't call it that. We are Tim Hortons Field and Tim Hortons Field only. We don't like this. But you can then also have the other sponsors who are like, yeah, call it the Donut Box. It's awesome. Why? Because it's still associated with our brand. Yeah, yeah, and I don't see anyone would be complaining about that. I think the people at First Ontario Centre, by the way, I fully expect that that name is not going to be on the arena for very long. Oakview Group, when when the rentals are done, they have already alluded or suggested that there's probably going to be a new name. Maybe First Ontario decides to fork out and get that name back on, but I think it'll be a new name, and again, then all of a sudden it's the... 900 CHML dome. Actually, that would be awesome. I was going to say, there's an idea. Yeah, I'll call it that. Uh, (laughs) But no, it'll be something else that, and you know what? I'm, I'd be all for just saying, "Eh, you know what? It's cops. So how would you feel then if say they were, cause there's going to be the Dundas stop that the subway has to stop at, or the Toronto Metropolitan University stop, which is changed from Ryerson, which was, you know, again, uh, Eggert and Ryerson, there are those who say that he has been al- maligned in this whole thing about residential schools and, you know, h- h- history is complicated and we try to simplify it and just get rid of anything that we are not happy with. How would you feel then 
if they corporatized it and they said, hey, you're going to be stopping at the Mountain Dew stop. Taco Bell I'll, I'll still Square. call. I would still call it Dundas. And that's fair because it's what you know it as. Yeah. Uh, Lori writes in, I often still call the Mountain Hospital Henderson Hospital. There you go. I mean, everyone's got the things that... Uh, that sticks with them. So uh, uh, let me know. Uh, but while you're, uh, while you're pondering all these things, we're going to take a quick break. Still asking people, do you drive, can you drive a stick shift? Andre says, I bought my first car from a used garage. And I was giving a, I was given a one minute tutorial and had to drive the car from North York to Etobicoke. 1987 Honda Prelude. I stalled it 20 times before I got home. Andre, I feel your pain. That was me with my first car exactly. And by the time you get home, you are sweating profusely from anxiety. You're exhausted. And you've probably done five years worth of damage to the clutch (laughs) in the span of that one trip. But you figure it out. I'm thankful my dad was there with me because he said, nope, it's your car. You're driving it home. I'm... I'm going to help you along the way though, with turning on the hazards for when you stall in traffic. Yeah. The, uh, and, and like Andre, uh, did not wait a second. I think Andre just said, yes, he got a one minute tutorial. So I got a little more than one minute. The guy who sold me my car drove around with me for about 15 minutes to try and get me caught up. I think this guy questioned every decision in his life for those 15 (laughs) minutes. People were honking at us. I stalled us in the middle of an intersection and couldn't get going again (laughs) in a busy Toronto intersection. I, he wanted to be anywhere, but in that passenger seat with me, anywhere. The sunglasses and the hood get put on and pulled over. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, 905-645-3221. Send us a text. Can you drive standard? How'd you learn? Who taught you? All the rest of the stuff. Love to hear from you. Ben, a very interesting schedule that was released yesterday for the Ticats. One thing in particular, five of the Ticats' first seven games, four of their first five, are going to be played on Sunday nights. What do you think about Sunday nights for Ticat games? Because I, I, I think we're getting further and well, we are getting further and further away from the days of not that long ago when Friday night football was when the CFL had its games. It was Friday night football. And I know that meant that, you know, not everyone can play on Friday nights, but I, what, what do you think about Sunday nights? I think that it's a terrible move. I don't like it at all because what is one of the best parts about having kids, taking them to do things? And I think that this is one of those opportunities where mom and dad got to work on Monday. You can't take your kids to the football game because when's it going to finish? 10, 11 o'clock, who knows how long through traffic to get home. So the family element of this is going to be removed entirely, in my opinion. No, that's a good point. I hadn't even thought of that, but you're bang on. But the other thing with it is there's a pretty significant presence on the football realm that happens to be occupying Sunday nights. Not though, not not early in the season. Certainly the NFL becomes a problem if you were going to do this, say, after Labor Day. This is all before Labor Day okay. starts. So, th- so your, your point is well taken. If this was something that was being done late in the season, you're risking The competition suicide. would blow you out. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But no, I, th- like, I don't, you're not going to be competing with the NFL early on. I just, I, you know, your point is really good. I hadn't even thought about it for that reason, that families are going to be, and whether, yeah, whether you take the kids And heaven knows the CFL more than any other league, I think needs to get kids to the park, needs to get kids, the next generation sold on the game. So whether mom and dad can't go to the game on Sunday night, because they got to get the kids into bed and ready, or whether it's just that you can't have the kids out because they got to go to school on Monday. I, I, I don't, I don't love it either. I'm sure there's a good reason. I'm sure there's market research that says this is a good time. I just don't love it. The other thing, because my brother, he actually used to work for the Ticats in their merch department. He's now doing stuff with the Coast Guard. And one of the things that he had to move way up towards Ottawa, and he was looking forward every single game. They come to Ottawa, he's going to be there watching. But when this came out, he's like, oh, that blows out any chance of me buying a ticket. I'm not going to do that. I've got work in the early morning. So I think that this is going to see 
maybe an uptick in TV viewership. Maybe. But there's no question about it. I think there's going to be a big decrease to the people in the stands. And at the end of the day, butts and seats is how you make a more money. Well, it is with the CFL. I, I, I don't know if that's a really another good point. I don't know if TV ratings will be higher on a Sunday night. Now, Sunday night football in the NFL does well, but there's something, first of all, it's the NFL. Second, it's the end of a full day of football. So you're just sticking around. It's not a one-off. But the third thing is Sunday night football, like Monday night football, like Thursday night football can flex. So they, what I mean by that is they can look and get rid of a really bad game. Usually, I think Sunday Night Football can. Certainly Monday, they just did it. The New York, New England Patriots got flexed out of a Monday Night Football game because they're so bad that the network said, we don't want the New England Patriots. And they put a different team, a different game in there. Ooh. You can't do that in the CFL. If you, you only have nine teams. <laughs> if, you've got, if you've got Sunday Night Football and you've got two terrible teams that aren't playing well and that their fan bases aren't watching, I don't know that it's helping your viewership. Not at all. And so something like this... I don't understand why changes get made as frequently as they do. Why, what was wrong with Saturday night? I don't think, I think you go back to the old adage of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I don't think there was a problem with Saturday night. I don't think there was a problem with Friday night. That's interesting. So it, um, and again, I would suggest, so I loved Friday night football and that's nighttime, but you're off. almost everybody is off Saturday. So it doesn't matter how late the game goes and the kids, it doesn't matter how late the game goes, the kids could be out. And it was a special thing as well when the kids are out late. You're staying up. You're going to do the things. And so here's the concern that I have with this. I'm looking at the schedule right now. The Ticats have only two games in the afternoon all season. One is Labor Day. That's a 2.30 start. And then on September the 14th versus Ottawa, uh, both those games at home, but it's a 4 p.m. start. Everything else is an evening game. And some of them are on Friday. Later in the season, they have a five Fridays in a row to end the season. Love that. Love that. But a lot of it, other than that, early on, Sunday, 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 Saturday, Sunday, that's a lot of games when kids are still in school that I don't think you're getting kids watching it. And that's the thing. I think it's more an issue of the time of day coupled with the day. If you had it Saturday or sorry, Sunday afternoon, that would work much better. Why you say you're getting home eight o'clock, nine o'clock. Okay, sure. It's not ideal all the time, but it's, it's not as bad as if you had an evening game on a Sunday. And here's the one other thing about this. If your team, in this case, the Ticats, if they're great If they come out of the gate and they are flying and they are winning games and they're exciting, people will probably suck it up and stay up on a Sunday night to watch the game. But are they going to go? Well, or go, or go, although you would, you will have bought your tickets presumably well before this. That's fair. But if your team is not good and heaven knows the Ticats, go back and look how they've started their years for like the past 12 years. They almost always start 0 and 2 or 0 and 3 or 1 and 3. Not great. If your team is not good, you may have a harder time. Anyway, I just, I, I, we'll see. Maybe both of us are wrong. Maybe the TV ratings will be great. Maybe it'll be sold out every time. Maybe it'll be a brilliant move and we'll all say, wow, did not see that coming, but I just do not see it coming. I, I, I don't love it. I hope we're wrong. I hope this is the move that I don't want to say saves the league. Well, no, I, I wish they would just go back to Friday night football. It would be more convenient. and Or Friday night, helpful. Saturday night. And, and, and the other thing that I wish they would do, and we got to take a break here. One thing that was so great about Friday night football is you knew when your team was, you knew when there was going to be football on TV, on TSN every week. Yep. It was going to be an early game and a late game on Friday. I would love to see them do Friday night football, doubleheader, and then a Saturday afternoon doubleheader every week. And you know then when those games are going to be on TV. It is consistent. You're going to turn on TSN and there's going to be a CFL game on that time. That I would love if that was the thing. And, you know, if it's not, and not Saturday, but we'll see. We've we'll, we got to take a break. We'll see. As I say, maybe 
I'm sure there had to be market research done on this. Maybe they've got many people saying, oh, you know, the one thing I really want to watch on Sunday night is CFL football. And we'll see. And maybe they're going to be brilliant. Maybe this is going to be a brilliant move. Perhaps it's filling the gap of the NFL. Maybe. Maybe. We'll see. And there was a Texas family, and this is not all that unusual, but a Texas family story that they found a toddler in a fast... They, <laughs> whoops, they found a battery in their toddler's fast food burger. <laughs> they did not find a toddler in their burger. They found a battery in their toddler's burger the other day. And it doesn't take much digging around on Google to go and find really repulsive things that people have found in takeout food over the years. Assuming that the thing you find in your food is not so overwhelmingly disgusting, a human finger, for example, whatever. Assuming it's just, if you found a bug in your food. Of which I have. What is, what is the appropriate response? Are you a send it back and let them know and try and get a free meal guy? Or do you just say, oh, pff, take it out. If you find a hair, do you do anything? What do you do? So... As far as, so I've actually had this happen where I did find a bug, a whole larva caterpillar thing in a bag of frozen peas from Walmart. So I took that and put it in a little container, went back to Costco, not Costco, to Walmart and was like, hey, uh, I found this. You guys better look into this because I may not be the only one just in case. If I find a hair, if it's long and stringy and, you know, it catches in your mouth and goes forever... I'm going to flag somebody down and be like, hey, so what's going on here? This, what's going, I'm not, I'm not a very confrontational person. So I don't think making, I'm not the person to make a big scene of like, I can't believe it. I want something for this. Give me something. See, that's where I think a lot of people go. And, and believe me, as I look through this list of what people have found in food, there's a lot of things where I would say, yes, there should be consequences, something. And that's the thing is generally I'll try and take kind of the more quiet, like, look, is there anything we can do about this? This, we both know this is not okay. How can we make this better? But if I find a little bug or if I found a hair or something, maybe it's just me. I would just oh, no question take it out it. and move on with my day. And I'm, you know, I don't know that, I mean, I know they have to wear hair nets and stuff, but if someone's hair got onto my food. It doesn't bother me that much. It, I, I don't necessarily assume this means that they are horribly careless and that there's health no. violations ever. Now there are things that would be that. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And that's why I feel like it comes down to what it is, where I am and how, how am I getting how, how am I being served? Because if you've got all the things lining up of this, I've got a jerk waiter, the food's eh, and the place is charging me way too much. Okay, we've got, we've got a scenario here. But for the most part, I don't really understand why people are like so over the moon disgusted by a well, hair. Well, that's it. So here's one. Okay, so here's a, a perfect example. A woman in England in 2014 found a scorpion in a bag of bananas. Which... She did not expect or want, I imagine. And it doesn't say whether it was alive, but the point is, I don't know. Is that a, is that a case of someone being reckless and careless and you should sue them and get some sort of settlement? Or is that, you know, a scorpion somehow got into the processing plant and I mean, I don't know that again, there are some here, for example, here's one where a, um, a person found a mouse in a salad. And that, see, a scorpion around bananas, that happens in nature. A mouse in a salad, you, that you know is, how the black plague happens. Well, and that is a, you're handing someone food ready to be eaten as opposed to packaging. Yeah. There's a, to me, there's a difference here. If someone found a tooth in a block of cheese. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That, that is concerning, confusing, and bewildering all at the same time. Yeah, uh, the, maybe the one here, and and again, though, I don't know. It's it's hard to say. Like, here's one where someone found a dead frog in a can of pop. How? How? Exactly how? So somehow. So is that? Yeah, you know what? They're going to give you some sort of thing for that. 
Oh, they I'd are be better because they don't want the publicity of people looking for dead frogs <laughs> in their stuff. But I think it comes down to, as I say, but the, was that anyone's certain, fault? And that's the thing: is a frog. You have to think: how did this frog get here? Assuming it was a frog got there on its own accord, it had to get through a processing plant's security systems, yeah. and then get onto the line into a can, presumably, which then was pumped full of juice. It gets closed Sealed. over. Yeah. As, yeah, I don't know how you prevent that. Now here, on the other hand, in 2005 in North Carolina, a guy was tucking into a thing of frozen yogurt and found a severed finger. And that is now, concerning. Now see, this is different because surely if the person who's missing the finger would be like, uh, hello, wait a sec, <laughs> my finger is missing. Somewhere in this line of food is a finger. I think we better check because if we don't find it, it means it's in one of the foodstuffs. That to me is a very different thing. And I don't imagine that the, oh, it's in the truck. It's been shipped. Sorry, bud. Tough luck. I don't think that really applies to a human finger that's been missing. You know, if your finger is missing, that it's got to, it's missing. And you know, it's got to be somewhere. It didn't just, you didn't leave it at home. He didn't accidentally, <laughs> oh, geez, I left the finger at home today. Whoops. My other pants. Oh, geez. Exactly right. <laughs> you know that it presumably fell off or was cut off in the plant and got somewhere. And it's not a clean thing either to lose a finger. That That hey, is a messy process. As someone who is missing two toes, I will tell you. Uh, yes, that is true. And we know we don't have time to talk about it right now. <laughs> it's a story for another it's day. It's a story for another day. I'll just, I'll, I'll leave you tantalizingly hanging <laughs> with the non-details of the story of the missing toes, but tis true. Ambiguity. Tis vagueness. true. Next time. Ta- tune in next time for the story. Well, I don't know when it'll be next time. Well, we'll get to the toes one of these days. Let's just say if you saw the series Mad Men, you have a reasonably good idea what happened to them. I thought you were going to say the Godfather. No, no. No, they didn't end up in someone else's bed. (laughs) (laughs) If you saw Mad Men, you have a pretty good idea what happened to my toes, but we'll get into that later. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.